Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. The podcast program is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University, and I'm your host, Eric Sloss. Well, today I'm here with a motley crew of individuals, some brave souls who take to the streets to perform outside. Uh, these are buskers, they're performance artists. I'm here with Bill Shannon. Hi, Bill. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Katie. Katie Clark, the lead singer of Hard Fought Theory. Hi, Katie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. And Noetic, he played bongos in the gym bay. Yes, uh, yes, good. yes. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. And then Martin the Troubadour is joining us uh, as well by phone. Hey, Martin, thanks for joining us. Hello. Well, welcome, everyone. So can you, um, Bill, maybe explain what busking is? A lot of people don't know what it is. Could you maybe explain the art of it? Uh, basically, you you know perform in the street and you uh, present to the public and you have a place where the public can respond through contributions or even through their own response in terms of other performances that they might want to contribute. So it depends on how you busk, um, what what your parameters are of your busking, but primarily putting putting a hat out and entertaining in a public space. And Katie, when you uh, busk or street perform, what is your particular medium? Um, I like to do guitar and vocals. Um, sometimes, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm a part of a band called Hard Fought Theory. Uh, we're based out of Moon PA. And our drummer does kind of an acoustic drum pad set, so kind of giving um, a new arena to a music feel outside of, um, like, the rock stage. So. It's a different platform, right, when you're on the stage. You have a different audience. You don't have sound control. You don't have the particular nuances of kind of managing your particular act in a controlled setting. Um, what's that like, Noetic? Um, well... I come from like the hip hop culture base of it, so mine's it's like a freestyle, like free form. You do as you feel, interact with people. Um, you really, yeah, it's not even like about the quality too so much. Like there's people on different levels of right of playing style that that still attract people. You'll see hundreds of people surrounding them, and you'll think like, oh, he's not that great but it's just that interaction right with folks on the street that's performative in many ways right bill i mean bill maybe you can describe your work a little bit and how you are able to what's that interaction with people right well my work started out as busking like entertainment and then uh through the process of performing i had some interactions that kind of opened up a door to a more of a exploration of a sociological sort of phenomenological space in public so my busking kind of went, went meta into performance art that was interactive and began to develop a whole language around my interactions. And then I started touring around the world, performing this material in different cultures and having people respond to me differently. You know, I, I have a performative disability, so I perform disability to some extent. I also have a history of skateboarding, so it's really weird to see crutches with skateboards and people really respond to that. If I'm doing a handstand on crutches on a skateboard, people are like, is he disabled? Is that a new sport? What do you call that? You know, like there's a lot of questions around the seeming conflict of interest. And then I'm also uh, coming also out of the hip hop dance uh, tradition. You know, when I was a b-boy, I was known as crutch master. I could do flares, floats, flips, spins, I mean, everything on crutches. And so there is an acrobatic component along with that. So um, <clears throat> that's kind of how my busking like turned into this whole other thing, like 
I would put my hat out and people would pick it up and say, did you drop your hat? <laughs> and so it was kind of a lesson for me about what, you know, what the public was seeing versus what I was doing. Like, I thought I was doing great tricks, but this person thought I dropped my hat. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that became actually the next layer of it, so right. to speak. Martin, maybe you can describe some of your work and maybe um, please share with us some of your interactions with the, the public in terms of the work that you do. Sure. Um, one thing that, well, well, what I do is I play guitar and harmonica and I sing and I tell jokes. And, um, but one of the things that I wanted to jump in on was when you're playing outside, you run into everybody from the children to the grandparents. When you're playing in a club, generally the club targets uh, a demographic. So you might, the club might target 35 to 50 year olds or 20 to 35 year olds. And so that's the slice that you're getting. So you target your, what you play towards who you're playing. And when you're on the street, I mean, you really have to be open and play stuff that the grand, grandparents might like or the children might like or all the way in between. And so that, to me, is uh, is part of it. Uh, turn my attention to Katie because she has that direct challenge, right? Because you have this maybe very important curated list of music that you play on stage and then you take that to the streets. Are you consciously thinking about that in terms of your playlist? Absolutely. Um, I mean, generally, the stuff that we do is is harder rock and based toward that fan group. So going out on the street is very much a new experience for us because we have to think consciously about what we're playing and who's going to hear it and how they're going to respond to it because that's a big part of the public interaction with the performer. thing that I was told... Uh by Scott Alleron from the Boston Globe. He said, when you perform, you're, you create a dialogue with the audience. If they want to continue the dialogue, then you have fans. If they don't want to continue the dialogue, then you miss them. And that's, that's really important for, I think, artists to, or musicians anyways to keep in mind. That's an interesting way to frame it. And um, Noetic, I think, coming from the hip-hop space, hip-hop has had a long history of street performance and yeah. um how does that influence the 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 way you think about your your work going in, back into the studio versus um versus playing in front of a crowd um just from like the start of hip-hop it started in the streets i mean the clubs came later and all the fancy vip service or whatever but it started from the streets so it's embedded in me to that's to begin on the corners and and it 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 wasn't even toward like wasn't even doing it for money like there's some people out there doing it just for money that's their daily way of getting cash or food or whatever but um which is cool i mean if that's how they do it it's okay but it i do it as a hobby i don't even go if they give me cash it's okay, but I do it just for the love and just to see the reaction from people. Because when I mentioned hip-hop, I come from a DJ background where you play in the clubs or in places like that. And I've been trying to figure out ways I can incorporate my DJing on the street, but right. that's another level. Yeah, <laughs> amplification. It's plug and play. Yeah, right. But, Amplification is a big challenge. Um, Katie, you're, how are you dealing with amplification on the streets are you dealing with it at all, or are you have noise levels is a, is a big issue? 
Do we wanna... have so far not used any amplification. I've, we've run into areas, especially around like um, Strip District, where they do the flea markets and stuff on Saturdays. We've mm -hmm. played there, and that's the only time that we've really gotten an issue with um, people saying like, oh, like we couldn't really hear the vocals. Um, but it's tough because finding somewhere to plug in that is a public space or you know a shop owner that will let you use their supply it's it's tough to find um especially with you know if i have my drummer with me it can really drown out the vocals easily the the particular challenge with downtown pittsburgh is the idea that the noise level is a certain decibel that it has to be and this came about by some folks that complained that there was a garbage truck that was it was taking out their garbage near a, an apartment complex at one o'clock in the morning and therefore that particular sound set the tone for de the decibel level in Pittsburgh for which you can't go over. That influences your work in many ways because you're playing in the streets and that, that all has a repercussions in terms of what noise levels you're playing with. Have any of you dealt with anybody saying to stop playing so loud or performance? Like what I do is when people start playing with me, if they play drums with me, come in with a congo or a saxophone, then then people start to complain usually. Bill, have you now what has your experience been in terms of noise level and? Uh, well, the thing was, um, I had a battery pack that I used, like a, basically a car battery, an inverter, and a speaker that I had mounted on a skateboard, and then I put the suitcase around the speaker so that when you saw me, it looked like there was a skateboard with a suitcase on it and then I was sitting on top of the suitcase and pushing with my crutches and riding it around and I had miked the wheels of the board hitting the pavement and so people didn't know where the sound was coming from and they were looking around like <laughs> what's going on where is this coming from and that's the only time anybody's like overreacted to it like what you know get that out of here why you know like people getting upset but you know, it wasn't like a sound, and like, you know, there's hitter, the hitters in New York. Like, there's mm. people who hit for money, mm -hmm. and the hitters are really just about money. Right. And then there's people like us that, I'm about money, like, I take money, but mm. I'm not, like, focused entirely on just, like, okay, there's our seven minutes, we did the exact same mm. thing. Mm. So there's those, like, repetition hitters, mm. and those guys usually have a loud soundtrack that drives the whole performance, in the same exact way, every time the hat goes around, mm -hmm. they take five minutes break, and they run that seven minutes again. Hmm. And it's like a machine, and they do it all day. Right. And it's usually like four or five people, but three people do it, and then two people switch out, you know, this yeah. kind of thing. And mm. it's a real, like, art form hitting, and they can make a lot of money in one day hmm. as long as they don't have too many people in their crew. Right. But someone like me, I'm doing really weird performance art. Some people who are static, who are sitting there for a while, will say, hey, that's performance art. Mm. That's street performance. But other people who walk by have no clue that this is a performance happening, and they just think it's part of the the fabric right. of the street, generally speaking. Right. So, you know, the, um, but, but as far as the, the sound factor, you know, those, the hitter guys know exactly their sound. <laughs> they, right. they, they will have it in New York, where I, I, was, I lived in New York for 12 years. They actually have little things they'll measure, and so when the police come, they have their permit and they have their like decibel. Oh, measure. wow. Yeah, they have like hmm. the real, you know, mm -hmm. we're doing this oh, kind wow. of attitude, right. you know. So if they do come up and say, hey, you're you're over this decibel level. Yeah, I mean, they're not yeah. even that expensive. And right. to measure the decibel level, you yeah. have, a, have a tool. It's just a handheld unit. And you right. walk away the number of feet that it says. And then you just do it. You right. know? So, you know, these guys, you know, they're downtown. They're, they're mm -hmm. in midtown Manhattan. 
Tons Times of people. Square, Washington Square Park. They they right. tr- they tried to kick people out of Washington Square Park, but there was so much resistance there that they just gave up. And there's still performances, thankfully, mm-hmm. in, in Washington Square. But they totally messed up the surface of the park. But anyway, I'm I'm getting on a tangent. Well, no, I mean, I think um, what you're alluding to, too, is uh, like kind of defining your space that Martin kind of talked about. Katie, how do you do that? How do you begin to think about what location you're going to be in? I mean, the most easiest opportunity here is to think about where are the most, excuse me, where are the most people um, just to get a, to, to gather a crowd. But that's more sophisticated than that. How do you think about that? It's a complicated selection process, I think, because, as you said, you're thinking about where the people are going to be. And a lot of times where the people are going to be is where there's businesses and there's private property and all of these other factors to think about. Um, And kind of going off what Bill was saying, there are people that have their spot and they do it for money every single week, the same set, the same time, and people know who they are because that's what they do. Um, So that's a, a challenge that we've had is, you know, you go to a particular location where there's a lot of people and you have one, two, three really particular spots, and there's people that play those spots every week. Mm, right. So. Right. It's a competitive mm-hmm. thing now <laughs> when the guy is always on this bridge. Right. Doing this. Right. Particular performance, and then a guy like me come come around, and right. I'm new to it, and they like, uh, this is where I get my money. Right. It's like you're stepping on my toes. Right. And that's the conflict of mm-hmm. all that. But like I said, it's okay. They can do. It's just out of respect. You should right. pick where you want to be because right. you just don't want to interfere. <laughs> right. But yeah, I guess that interference has got to be. It's like who owns the space? Who owns the streets? Who owns the? Yeah, it comes. Yeah, I have a, I have a different take on that. I I think whoever's there first gets the spot. So, you know. Um, but I've run into confrontations about that too. Nobody owns the streets, right? So if you're there, and, I, and so I'll share it. I'll play for an hour and let someone else play for an hour. But I don't think anybody has any claim to any public space. Yeah, that's a challenge. What do you think, Bill? Uh, just from traveling the world, I can tell you that you will get jumped trying <laughs> to take somebody's spot. So whether or not it's legal or it's some kind of code. There's certain spots, if you go to Venice Beach and you try to take a spot down there, mm-hmm. somebody <laughs> will stab you if there's you don't. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> heavy street. Not Pittsburgh, not so much, right. you know. But you start, you know, seeing, like I was in uh, Mexico City, Distrito Federal, in the main Zocalo downtown. And they had the Inca, you know, the guys that wear the Inca uniforms and do the routines and mm-hmm. the big thing. And, uh, you know, I was over in the Zocalo performing in my little corner. And they would do a whole show and anytime anybody would come into their spot, they would be, uh, it was like 10 guys would just run up on them and be wow. like, you're not, you're not doing this right here. Wow. You know, <laughs> it yeah. was just like, yeah. there's not, you know, the police couldn't do anything. You know, there's nothing. Yeah. You're, you're done. Get it's out. It's territorial. You know? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there is this, this unwritten co- code of ethics yeah. that buskers have mm-hmm. that play out city by city, block by block, block by block, uh, you know, country by country, maybe. And this kind of unwritten code of ethics and how you brave souls as street performers deal with that has got to be complicated. I mean, the sad thing about it is sometimes the people who own the spot are horrible performers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, like, make really bad art, you know, or whatever. It's just, like, they're just there to make money, you know. So 
it's kind of hard if you're an artist and you're trying to like make something creative and new and different and you have to come up against the realities of those type of unwritten illegal but ultimately very real you know dynamics that are taking place well that could lead to a really good discussion about the legalities of busking what you know some cities have these rules and regulations mm -hmm. others don't uh the mayor of uh, the city of pittsburgh here um, um mayor peduto decided to protect busking under the first amendment um mm -hmm. what's what are your opinions about the legalities of busking katie i thankfully we live at you know we're in pittsburgh and pittsburgh does protect that but i think that quite frankly, it sucks for the people that are trying to get themselves out there in cities that don't protect that. Because, I mean, I would be under the, the I'm studying pre-law, so I would be under the, um, the agreement with the mayor that, that this is protected free speech and sometimes, you know, protected symbolic speech under the First Amendment of the Constitution. I'm just looking at two, uh, Goldstein versus the town of Nantucket, 1979. Uh, Nantucket's transient vendor bylaw deprives buskers from their First Amendment rights. Accepting contributions does not dilute your rights. Needing to get approval is unqualified censorship. So there's there's a case study here in the town of Nantucket. And then Barry versus New York City in 1997. Um, expression about philosophical, social, artistic uh, matters are entitled to full First Amendment protection. So there's a series of these types of cases all over the world where people are, especially in America, where you're, you have this First Amendment right to kind of really express yourself on the corner. I think the complexities of, of what is public and what's private space, mm -hmm. especially in a city as old as ours, gets really complicated. Mm -hmm. And as we begin to think about the more privatization, the developers that come in and claim space, um, buskers could be, a street performers could be an avenue to kind of reclaim public space. But what's public and private is, 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 is really confusing, don't you think, Noetic? Yeah, yeah. Um, as you bring up the history, I'm thinking back when, like in Europe, when it, I don't know exactly when it started, but they would have, they would pay, not, not pay them, but have buskers in front of their establishments to bring people in. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I don't see that as much now. Right. Uh, so I don't know when these laws came in effect mm -hmm. or not. Or I think I go back to the old school way of it, just let people do what they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that's the that's the that's the code of ethics of buskers is that they're living. You you know they they go by these unwritten rules and this kind of respect factor. Um, but then there are the legal limitations of how people live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but Bill, are you dealing with any of these legalities, and what is it like on a on a on a worldview? Well, um, you know, I've been to several places where it's actually illegal to even perform anything. I was in Cairo, Egypt, and I was skating, street skating, on my crutches, and like riding along and spinning. And my host were like really cool. They were like driving beside me, and I was just like just slicing through Cairo traffic. And I stopped at a corner. And I wasn't aware, you know, that there were, like, police, like, half a block away. And I was just performing, and they pulled over, and they were like, no, 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 you can't, you can't stop and do a performance. You just have to, like, keep, 
you can't do that. It's illegal to just have a performance out of hmm. nowhere. Wow. So, you know, you have to go through the clearances. So in Chicago, like I had two different street performances in the city of Chicago in the 90s where you would have to go to City Hall, stand in line, explain your performance, which for me was practically impossible. They're like, what are you doing exactly? I'm like, you know, kind of this, but kind of that. And they're like, okay, you know, so, and then you pay $50, you know, to get, I think it was 50, um, maybe it was 15. I'm, I'm, I was, but I was young enough where 15 was still a lot. <laughs> you know, I was like 19, 20 years old. And uh, so, uh, you know, different cities will handle it, handle it really differently. Um, but at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter. If the police decide that they don't like you, even if you're totally legal and you have your card and you have, they're going to shut, they're going to mess with you so much. Like if they don't like you, if you're not cool, like I'm always like, yes, sir. Okay, sir. No, I wasn't in the way, sir. Like I'm all, every time I meet a police officer when I'm performing, because what I do interacts with people, sometimes touch me, sometimes I'm like holding on to multiple people, you know, like weird stuff happens. And so I just would rather just... Even the, even if it is legal, and the cop it tried to just stay on the right side of the the law, with that, right, which is like a strategy almost. Right, right. Rather than I, I've actually had them say that to me, you know, you if I don't like you, you're shut. I'm shutting you down. Period. And yeah. even, regardless of what what the case is, and I think another aspect of it though is um, depending on how many people there are. Um, there are different sets of rules. Like a teacher told me one time, if there are three people in class, you can speak up anytime you want. If there are six people in class, you have to raise your hand. So the same thing with street entertainers. I was performing on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica before they had stations. And then it got so popular that they decided that, well, we're, you have to sign up and you have to have a license and uh, and and. And you have to be juried, but wow. 30 years ago you didn't have to be. Right. And the same, but Venice is still open. You can still go wherever you want in Venice. But the the uh, the the pier, the pier, the Santa Monica Pier and the Third Street Promenade, you have to have a certain. You have there are only so many spots that you can perform. You have to have a license. You have to be juried. You have to buy the license. And uh, and that's all because there are more people doing it. The less amount of people there are, the less rules there are generally. As we talk about uh, the the First Amendment and our freedom of speech, we would rather we would rather play the game under the law. To is what I'm hearing, to perform our work appropriately, rather than defend our freedom of speech is what I'm getting at. And there, and, I, and I'm saying this in the context of Paul Simpson. He wrote a journal article. It was he's from the School of Geography. Earth and Environmental Sciences from the University of Plymouth. And he, he wrote a paper called Space, Soci Sociality, and the Intervening in the Everyday. And he says, streets have never actually been free or democratic spaces. At different times, various groups have been excluded or censored. Streets are domesticated from the incivilities of certain inhabitants through the regulation of difference, the definition of acceptable behavior. And so the purification and privatization of publicly accessible spaces so as to exclude non-consumers or those who are deemed to distract from the experience of that space. So I think what Paul specifically says is that our spaces aren't that democratic. We don't, we don't live. And, and what I'm hearing from all of you is that you're going to play that game with the police. You're not going to defend your freedom of speech 
because it's not worth it. Or or, may, or maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, editorializing here. Yeah, Katie. Because you're too vulnerable. I think that it really is unfortunate because, like you said, in a couple of cases, um, there's enough people that that do busking and run into these problems that this could be taken to a national level, and we haven't had the political representation in the courts to take it, say, to the Supreme Court and make a national law that says, yes, busking is protected under free speech. But in order for that to happen, somebody has to make a case and appeal it and appeal it, and it's a very long and taxing process. And unfortunately, like, you know, people like us are just doing it because we want to share our art with the world. And it's not not really worth it to, right. to climb that years-long ladder um, in the court system to make that ruling. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm looking at it from, a, from an activist perspective. You know, um, what do we give up for our performance? And our... So are they putting this in place because people are receiving cash for, you know, for what they do? or You mean the laws themselves? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, say you're not, collecting. You're not out there collecting. Yeah. I mean, that's you just performing, putting out an art right. form on the street. Like I said, at hip-hop, they were just breakdancing on the right. corner. Those kids wasn't bagging for money or anything. Right. Well, Even in Washington Park, right. I mean, they were just freestyle rapping just to get right. off, you know, that stress or a stress relief. You know, like, right. And it, and it, I don't know. I don't no, no, I, to figure this I, I out. I think there is some economic, you know, the transaction of art. I mean, that's a very actually interesting right. conversation is, you know, how do you transition? And I've always heard that if you hand someone money, hand hand-to-hand, and then that's actually a purchase. Mm-hmm. But if they give you a tip, that's that's a different transaction. Um, and that's, as I've always understood busking or street performances, that the tip is the applause. So mm-hmm. if you appreciate it, you tip. If you don't, walk away. Or, or you know, those. that's the idea of it. Um, but, Bill, maybe... Uh, your your performance is a little bit different. Do you do you see that as a as a form of appreciation or are you or an expectation? Well, there's two things just to touch on really quickly. One is the idea of they're trying to control the performances because you're making money, and I think that's really an excuse. I mean, the amount of money that they're going to make from permits is a tiny little drop in the bucket, microscopic. But the amount of control that they can render over a space, the same way the protest with uh, you know you talked about coming at it from an activist perspective. I mean, you know, I was raised as uh, by activist parents. So, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, you know, kettling and, you know, pushing people to one side and you can't walk here. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as there's a protest, all of a sudden there's all these new rules around protest zones and all kind of stuff. And so it's just another kind of uh, facet of, um, you know, the, the control of civic space to protect private ownership of property and that kind of thing. So just on an ideological uh, level around politics and public space, um, I think that, you know, street performers are kind of the culture that is pretty vulnerable to that battle. But when it comes to the real uh, activism that, you know, street performance has a role, but it's certainly not the leadership of activism. You know what I'm saying? I do. It's a part of it. And then the the essay about that was – in Mexico, it's not whether you liked it or not. It's whether you stopped and watched. And even the most destitute people that would sit and watch me, because I would perform for hours, like on these random 
improvisational freestyle performances and they would just sit and watch because you know gliding around on crutches and spinning and collapsing and all this stuff and you know people don't see that like what I do is virtuosic and one of a kind so there's a lot of just gee whiz crowd like whoa like never seen that before in type of people and no matter how poor the people were they would always leave at least one centavo which is like one tenth of one cent um but I had a pile of money in Mexico City because the number of anybody who watched would f then be compelled to pay. Only the hmm. people who completely didn't look, even if they didn't like it, if they stopped, it was kind of like disrespectful. And I think that's an interesting difference hmm. between here, where hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, that was all right. I'm not going to give you, any, you know, I'm not going to pay. But, you know, it's just a different mm -hmm. level of understanding of, of what's happening with the relationship. Katie, you have a different dimension to it because it's like you have you have the opportunity to present new work or experiment on the streets, but also present publicity for hard fought theory, right? You could, you, you could use, that's the, that's the marketing end of things, right? Just the fact that they hear you and follow you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's primarily why we got into the busking scene was to go out and try new music that we were writing and um, just hear back from maybe a demographic that we weren't necessarily hitting uh, on stage, you know, because we're primarily performing to college-age kids, and um, especially college women. You know, they get ready to go to a concert, three hours, and getting ready, and it's this big event, and you're, you're made up and ready to go out to a concert that you paid to see and bought a ticket for. But when you're on the streets, you just get this really raw and real perspective. Like, nobody sat up and put on their makeup and picked out their outfit and put on their heels to come out and watch you on the streets. They just, they run into you. And so it's a completely different... Um, type of feedback that I think is really important, especially for um, an organization like I'm a part of where we're doing something so right. exclusive. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. And how do you, pr how do you promote your work in the public? Is it spontaneous? Are you saying I'm going to be here X or noetic? Um, I do that sometimes through Instagram and Twitter. I'll mm -hmm. say, Hey, I'll be on the Clemente bridge mm -hmm. or, Right. Um, I'm over on the North Shore or something. Right. I mean, I just play a set of bongos, so right. it's like mm, nothing big. But it's right. like I actually I do that to bring other buskers out to where I'm at, so we can like oh, elaborate, yeah, and actually build up right. something. Like I said, I do it mainly for just the fun of it mm -hmm. and seeing people's reactions. <laughs> yeah, right. How do you promote yourself, Bill? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. Like yeah. I did a piece called Traffic where I put my audience in a bus and then I skated through the streets and stopped at certain specific locations and danced. And so I promoted that like, hey, come and see a street performance I'm doing. Um, I did something for Three Rivers Arts Festival where I was down on the point and I was just on a skateboard and whatever dancing around down there. And that was promoted. But then other times I don't want the promotion. I just want people to arrive upon something and have genuine responses that aren't around like oh i came to see this okay i'm gonna stand here and look at it mm -hmm. and some people watch a performance but maybe they don't want to even know they're watching like they'll mm -hmm. sit and watch and kind of just kind of chill or like look out of the side of their eyes like and those type of dynamics i find really fascinating and interesting much more so than an invited audience now bill how can people find you uh, my Instagram is what is what D O T C O M. That's on Instagram. If you Google my name, Bill Shannon, and like the first page of Google on Bill Shannon, that name, um, 
I have, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I think that's the easiest way to find me is, is just to, to jump on Instagram, which is where my, my, my website is whatiswhat.com. So what is what? Um, and yeah, that's Great. it. Noetic. Uh, just through Instagram is okay with me. Okay. N-O-E-T-I-K. T-I-K. One. And you spell out one O-N-E. Martin the Troubadour. How, how can we sure. find your work? Uh, well, I have uh, on YouTube, I have a, a page, Martin Thomas 5-9. So it's YouTube slash Martin Thomas 5-9. Great. I have, and uh, also my email is Martin Thomas 5-9 at Hotmail. Great. Katie, how can we find you? Uh, my personal Insta- er, Instagram is kclark underscore music. Uh, and then you can find our band at Hard Fought Theory Band on Instagram as well. And then uh, my personal email is clarkmusicofficial at gmail.com. Thank you all so very much for coming to this really important conversation. I hope this is one of many conversations that thank you all very much. Thanks thank for you. Having me. Yeah, thank, uh, you. thank you, Eric. If, there, if you want to find out more about busking in Pittsburgh, you can go to buskerstreet.org. Uh, there's a nice national website called busk.co that you can go to and get connected with as well. In Community and Company is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Cody Park University. We can thank executive producer Dr. Steve Fieber, studio engineer Tyler Polk. Uh, we will thank you for this support. And In Community and Company is produced in front of a live studio audience at the Center for